Okay, a couple of weeks ago, in prep for this sermon, if you are a member of Genesis, just a member, you got a text from us that said, hey, would you mind quickly answering this one question? It was a survey question about fasting, right? So all answers were anonymized. We don't know who you are. We don't know what your answer was. We just know in general what they were. So there are 82, if I did my math right, 82 members of Genesis as of right now. 82. So, um, we asked those 82 people this question. How frequently do you engage in partial or full day fast, a partial or full day fast from food or beverages as a spiritual discipline? And the reason we ask it that way is because some people intermittent fast for their health or they just do other things. So, it was specifically for how often do you fast, partial or full day, um, as a spiritual discipline from food or beverage, not just from, we did hear about games or some people are like, well, I'm fasting from, if you're reading a book with us, The Praying Life, I'm fasting from camping, like whatever it is. We're talking about food, food or beverage, right? That's what we're going to go to, and there's a reason for that and what we'll see in the passages today. So here are the, uh, just before we get to the results, these are the actual responses that we were given. I don't fast. That was response one. I don't fast. One to seven days a year, eight to 14 days a year, 15 to 21 days a year, 22 to 28 days a year, 29 or more days a year, or only during Lent. We use that differently because some people have kind of a religious background where the Lenten season is kind of a different, maybe they only fast on Fridays from certain things or whatever. So we, we just went ahead and said, let's just make that its own category and let's see what the answers were. So 38 people... Uh, replied. I think the text went to 81, which means we had 81 phone numbers, not 82. So the text went to 81 people. And here are the responses. And if you do the math, you're going to realize that percentages don't add up just right because they round, okay? So we're we're rounding here. Get over it. 23 people, which is about 60%, say never fast, never do it. 12 said one to seven days a year. Two said eight to 14 days a year. And one said 29 or more days a year. Those are answers. Now, we even talked at like our elders meeting uh, last week, like, why, what, what do you think this means, or what does this show, or what, what's going on here with these results? I appreciated the honesty. Being anonymous kind of helps. Uh, but it's interesting to read the responses, to see the results, to hear them as a church family, to go, okay, well, most people are like, I don't even, I, I don't, don't even go near it. <clears throat> and then if those, some do go near it, the bulk of us go near it rarely. You know, like, like rarely, maybe up to a week, full or partial day from food or beverage, right? Which, which, if we're talking about like bars to jump over, it's a pretty small bar. But at the same time, I think it goes to show that maybe this is a concept that we don't really grapple with or think about. And part of it is our own kind of spiritual tradition where we just say, well, that's kind of, you know, we're not really, we don't do that thing. Um, but it's interesting that, that many of us, even amongst the membership of this church, right, Many of us don't even attempt, don't even attempt in a given year, a day, to skip lunch, you know, like, like, like partially or skip breakfast and lunch. Like, like there's not even something that's on our radar of ways to engage with the Lord. And, and in a sense, I think we remove uh, a part of what the Lord has for us and how we can engage Him by not even kind of thinking about this subject, not even kind of going near it. 
And there might be, of course, many reasons why we answered the way we did. I asked no one. Um, I had one conversation with a friend about his response because he gave it to me, but I didn't ask anybody what their answer was. I'm not, I'm not really curious about how, how spiritual you are or think you are. Um, but I think as we thought about reasons, one, people aren't taught. We aren't taught this. No, no one really helps us understand what in the world this might even be for. Uh, we don't want to be a legalist. That's, a, that's an answer, right? Like, well, I don't want to be a, I don't want to be a Lloyd legalist. Like, that doesn't, that, and if I do it, I feel like I'm following a rule. I don't want to follow a rule. Um, okay. Another reason might be that we hear statements in Scripture about how Jesus says, well, my disciples don't fast. He said that. People are like, well, why do John's disciples fast and yours don't? Um, he's like, well, because I'm with them, right? And he was speaking about how he's the Messiah, and they're going to come a time when they're going to fast, but it's not going to be right now. Right now we're partying. We're here together. So they might read a statement like that and go, I don't really, don't really see a need. Perhaps there are health issues that go on in our life that if we skip a meal, we, I don't know what happens, but something bad. So that could be another reason that prohibit it. And all of these things are reasonable, and I think we can address most of them. We can address most of them. And this is our third passage, the kind of third teaching about hidden righteousness that Jesus has given us. The first one is giving to the poor. The second one is prayer. The third one is fasting. Which is funny, or even speaking uh, as elders, uh, is that if you, if you study or follow uh, Islam at all, they have their five pillars. Notice that, that these teachings encompass three of those five, right? Like, like these disciplines, prayer, giving to the poor, and fasting, are, are three of the five pillars, not the pilgrimage. And um, I always forget the fifth, I, I, even when I do it. I, was, like, I, I say it, I go, okay, well, what's that one? Um, but uh, when we look at those three, we go, okay, a prayer I get, giving I sort of get, fasting, we kind of push it aside, but it's, it's, it's one of the ones that he actually gives to us. So Matthew 6, 6 through 8, 16 through 18, in order to understand our hearts in fasting, we need to understand what fasting is. So what we're going to do, before we jump just to 16 through 18, because that's about the heart in fasting, but if many of us don't even approach it, then jumping right into the passage doesn't really help, because we're kind of talking about something that we don't even think about, right? Like, we don't, if we don't even think about it, then saying, well, do it in secret, it's like, well, I don't do it at all, so doing it in secret doesn't matter. Uh, because there's, it's not happening. So let's just look at fasting in general and then figure out how that connects to the passage that we have. Okay? So first, a look at fasting. And for a general definition, Micah got it right. Fasting is abstaining from food, sometimes drink, for a set period of time. It might be a day, it might be a meal, it might be a week, it might be 40 days, but it's, as we see in Scripture, the abstention from food or beverage for a set period of time and for a specific purpose, okay? It's like for a reason. Now, whereas today, we often talk about, like, I'm going to do a social media fast, or I've even heard somebody say, I'm going to do a dating fast, or I'm going to fast from sugar, uh, or, you know, I'm going to fast from certain TV shows. just need to fast from it. I think sometimes, like, we're just applying the word fast way too liberally. Like, like, you could just stop watching the TV show. You don't have to call it a fast. Like, it's probably just good for you. Um, so we could remove fasting from some of the things that we call it. But 
But we say that, but when we look at the scriptures, fasting is largely related to food, and it is largely religious in nature. And I say this uh, knowing uh, specifically that many religions throughout all time, like Christians or uh, those of the Jewish faith, are not the first ones to hold the like, mantle of fasting. That other faiths fast. And it shows a certain level of seriousness. So Ramadan in Islam, right, like the period of fasting from sunup to sundown is one of the five pillars. In fact, if you're like me uh, and you remember 25 years ago, Akeem Olajuwon getting notoriety for observing Ramadan while playing in the playoffs, right? Like, and so you might remember what he did. Or he had certain ways he would do it, or I wouldn't do it sometimes, or do it other times. But like that, that kind of put on the map like an elite athlete in the NBA, winning championships, let's not forget, but observing, specifically observing a religious rite. Now, even today, we think, though, many people aren't religious. Uh, they even approach, right, because, like, fitness is kind of a religion. They'll even approach fasting just totally from a secular perspective, of like, oh, I fast for my health, and I exercise at certain times in order to, like, like we even, we still just treat the concept itself religiously, even if we ourselves might not claim that we are religious people. So, so that's why I say fasting is almost always religious. Like, sometimes it's related specifically to health, but it's almost always religious because it's part of how we operate and structure our days and our times and how we spend it. But here's what we're going to do. We're going to look at Old Testament, we're going to do New Testament. I'm going to do one example of uh, post-Book of Acts. We're going to look at one example there of just kind of going, how did fasting happen? And I'm just going to give you examples, not every exhaustive reference to fasting, but here are some examples of people fasting. Moses fasts on the mountain when the Lord is giving again the Ten Commandments. If you don't remember, like the Lord was telling his people how to live, and he gave these commandments, and then the people went ahead while Moses was gone, built an idol, and were worshiping it. Moses kind of comes down from the mountain. He's, of course, freaked out, and the tablets break, and so he needs new ones. The Lord gives them new ones. Exodus 34, 27 and 28, The Lord said to Moses, Write these words in accordance with the words I have made a covenant with you and with Israel, so he was there with the Lord 40 days and 40 nights. He neither ate bread nor drank water, and he wrote on the tablets the words of the covenant, the Ten Commandments. That he, that he was with the Lord, and he didn't eat, and he didn't drink, and he wrote. Later, and we're going far later in the nation's history, in the exile, Esther bravely goes before the king while in exile, and before doing this, she calls a fast, Esther 4.16, go gather all the Jews to be found in Susa, hold a fast on my behalf, and do not eat or drink for three days, night or day. I and my young women will also fast as you do. Then I will go to the king, though it is against the law, and if I perish, I perish. So she's about to go, and actually Esther's used. The book of Esther shows God's deliverance, God's people. You remember, like, the, there's not a lot of reference to God in the book of Esther, but you, it's there, and we see God's hand throughout the entire thing. So they call a three-day fast before she goes before the king because it's not lawful, and she could die, and she's just, I'm going to go do it. But the community fasts together before she goes. Ezra, Ezra, in returning the people from exile in the land, 
They prepare to go back, Ezra chapter 8. Then I proclaimed a fast there at the river Ahava, that we might humble ourselves before our God to seek from him a safe journey for ourselves, our children, and all our goods. They were going to leave and go, and so now fasting that God might protect them on their journey back to the land. And listen to what he says here. I was ashamed to ask the king for a band of soldiers and horsemen to protect us against the enemy on our way. Since we told the king, the hand of our God is for good on all who seek him, and the power of his wrath is against all who forsake him. So we fasted and implored our God for this, and he listened to our entreaty. It's interesting that there's a little commentary in verse 22. We had to do it because I said we had to do it. I said God was going to be faithful, and so I couldn't go back. I've already said it. So now we have to go before the Lord and be like, please come through because we said you would and we need you to come through. And we fasted and we sought him and he heard us. But God's concern is not just for the act itself. Remember that? Like God's not, not just concerned in religious behavior or else you could just like be re- have really serious religious behavior, right? And the more serious your religious behavior, the more God will respond to you. <clears throat> and so it's not really about just being really serious or doing religious things that then makes God go, oh yeah, okay, well you're fasting, I'm going to listen to you, and you're not, I'm not going to listen to you. God is still concerned about the heart, right? So you can fast as a ritual or you can fast from the heart, but in fact the prophet Isaiah, God speaks through Isaiah to the nation about Fasting in a way that honors God. Isaiah 58, 6. Is not, this fast, is not this the fast I chose for you? To loose the bonds of wickedness. To undo the straps of the yoke. To let the oppressed go free. And to break every yoke. Like, like aren't, shouldn't you be concerned about justice? Not just kind of following a religious rite. Not just following certain habits or ways to operate. But shouldn't you be really concerned about freeing people and concerned about those who aren't free? Shouldn't you seek that? So Isaiah 58, if you read through it, it's going to talk about how to fast in regard to caring. This is what you need to be doing. It should should change your heart and move you towards others. But fasting, just just from those examples in the Old Testament, was was a spiritual preparation that led to hearing from God and, and it led to acts of obedience Specific acts of obedience, like it, was, you know, like it was for a purpose and it led to something. It wasn't merely ritualistic. And if it was, the Lord would not look on it, right? He didn't look on it and go, oh, good, I'm glad you're doing the thing. But he's looking for heart. We don't want a ritual. We, we, we want to honor the Lord, right? Let's jump into the New Testament. The New Testament is not as a plum with examples of fasting. It's not as full of examples of fasting. I think there might be a reason for that. I think today's instruction might be that reason. Well, you don't write letters to people about how much you fast, because that kind of goes against what Jesus said to do. So it makes sense that kind of the New Testament reference of it, it kind of got quiet, because Jesus said, don't talk to people about why you do it. Don't talk, don't don't show that you do it. But there still are references. Uh, Jesus tells a parable that clearly shows that fasting is religious and that the people he was teaching would understand. He told a parable, Luke 18, to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous, trusted in themselves that they were righteous, and treated others with contempt. Doesn't sound familiar at all. 
Two men went up into the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee, standing by himself, prayed thus, God, I thank you that I am not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all I get. Right? There's, there's number one in Jesus' teaching and number three in Jesus' teaching of here in chapter six. And he's praying, which is number two. So boom, boom, boom. Right? Got all three of those disciplines right there in his prayer. But the tax collector standing far off would not even lift up his eyes to heaven, but be his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other, the, the sinner, the tax collector. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. That's just a story. Jesus is teaching about how inward righteousness is important. Our righteousness, so he uses fasting as an example. I fast twice a week. I give a tenth of all that I have. How in the world could, you know, I'm so glad I am the way that I am, and I'm not like this loser over here. That's what it's about. No. Jesus is trying to convince them or convict them that that is not the case. Remember, we talked about in Luke 5, they look at what's going on between Jesus and John the Baptist, who both have disciples kind of concurrently. Let's not forget that, that John has people who are following him, and Jesus has people who are following him, and John's saying to his guys, like, look at him, he's better, right? So they're both teaching people because that was what Jewish leaders did. They had people that they taught. Jesus was that. John the Baptist was that. But they look at John, they go, hey, the disciples of John fast often and offer prayers, and so did the disciples of the Pharisees, but yours eat and drink, they're saying that Jesus is handling life with his disciples differently. That's when he gives his instruction there. But Jesus has not never fasted. In fact, if you read the Gospels, you'll see that Jesus does fast. He actually fasts before the temptation in the wilderness. He went out, went out was sent out after his baptism, was sent out. And in Matthew 4, 2, after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. Duh. Right? Like, that, that would make sense. But, but the fasting was in preparation for the fuller public ministry that came after that. Right? That Jesus fasted. And, and there's a connection, to a degree, between Jesus fasting in the wilderness and Moses fasting before the law, that, like, Jesus is there and he handles temptation. And, like, like the, 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 these leaders that you see in, of God's people are fasting. And Jesus does, too. He fasts in preparation for his ministry, but his ministry is totally and completely faithful. It's totally true. Jesus did it. What about after the ascension? Because for the public ministry of Jesus, when people are watching him, they go, hey, your disciples don't fast. He's like, that's because I'm here. That was his reasoning. We're here, and we can celebrate, we can be together, and so it's not about, no, it's just different. We're not concerned about external appearances. But there's fasting in the book of Acts. Remember, before the first missionary journey, what were the missionary journeys? But there, there were certain leaders of the church. Paul was one. Barnabas was one. A little later, Saul was one. But they would go out, and they would preach the gospel amongst places that it had not been heard. They would talk about Jesus and what he'd done to people who had not heard about Jesus yet. We're still doing this today. right? It hasn't stopped. And so we still send people. But in Acts chapter 13, we get what we call the first missionary journey. 
And that means it's kind of the first movement through a region of proclamation. There were people who were sent out from Jerusalem, but because of persecution. Right? They, they left because they were fleeing for their lives. But in Acts chapter 13, they're in Antioch, which is north of Israel. They're in Antioch, and they're spending time seeking God together. Acts 13, 1 through 3. Now, there were in the church at Antioch prophets and teachers. Barnabas, Simeon, who was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, uh, Manaean, a lifelong friend of Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. And while they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. So they're together, they're worshiping, they're fasting, and the Lord speaks. Then after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them and they sent them off. Because when God speaks, we just, we're going to go ahead and send you then. Off you go. Toward the end of the first missionary journey in Acts chapter 14, they're going back and they're appointing elders, who we call pastors, or the, the, the leadership, the senior leadership of this church are being appointed on their way back through because missionary journeys often, like this first one in particular, would go through a region and then loop back around and come home. So you'd kind of go do proclamation and come back and see how it, how it went, who was still around. And they would strengthen the churches. In Acts 14, 23, they appointed elders for them in every church with prayer and fasting, they committed them to the Lord in whom they had believed. So again, seeking fasting, and, and it, what do you see? You see religious connection, you see for a specific purpose, you see often people doing it together, not people doing it just by themselves, but they, were, they would join in together, Acts 14, 23. But the New Testament isn't flush with, beyond that, evidence of fasting. The epistles don't instruct in fasting. Uh, aside from a couple of references in the book of Acts, there isn't a lot of instruction on fasting. And so we kind of look at it and go, well, what do we do with that? Well, there is an early church, kind of post-apostolic. What I mean by that is like right after the book of Acts. Right, book of Acts is happening, so the churches right after the book of Acts did incorporate fasting to a degree, or some of them did. I can't speak for all churches, of course. There's this little book called the Didache, the teaching, the instruction has two brief references to fasting. Now, I just cut and paste this, so it's going to be anglicized. You don't have a baptized with a Z, but with an S. But here's one. And before the baptism, let the baptizer and him, is to, is, him who is to be baptized fast, and any others who are able. And thou shalt bid him who is to be baptized to fast one or two days before. What are they saying here? Well, they would, they would baptize new converts after usually a period of instruction. And what they would say is, and before you do it, the one you're baptizing should fast, and the one who's baptizing them should fast, and anyone who else who is able, which means anybody else from the church family who can pull aside and pray for these new people who are being baptized, you should do that. So that's how they considered and took, took seriously the idea of fasting together. So so the one being baptized and the one baptizing and anybody else who's able should go ahead and fast for the people who are being baptized. Now think about why you might do that. Many of these people, when being baptized, were essentially drawing a line in the sand in ways that we do but we don't realize. They were drawing a line in the sand saying, I stand for Jesus, he's, he's died for me. And so that might mean the loss of home, family, or life. You just pick. And so, right, with that heightened sense of awareness, what would happen? But the church would go, well, we need to fast for these people. 
We need to be concerned about these people. We need to, we need to pray for these people who are being baptized, who are saying, I'm going to follow Jesus. In the next chapter of the Didache, they, they say this, and this is interesting because they talk about twice a week. Listen to what they say here. Let not your fast be with the hypocrites, right, the non-religious They are the non-Christians, Christ followers. For they fast on Mondays and Thursdays. Let your fast be on Wednesdays and Fridays. Right? So even if they're instructing on fasting, they're saying, don't do it on the same day because you don't want to confuse it. Right? You're identifying a different day. Now, when we see stuff like this, maybe what we read in uh, Paul and 1 Corinthians or in Roman about people who recognize days and weeks and seasons, like, maybe that helps us understand why people might do that. Right? Because... In incredibly religious cultures, now we're religious, but our religion is often secular, but in incredibly religious cultures, these kinds of habits would still exist. And so what they're saying is, don't not do it, just do it differently. Do it differently. So I just want to summarize from these, Old Testament, New Testament, that one example afterwards. We can say a few things. Thing number one, fasting is something God's people have done. I mean, that's, hopefully that's clear. Like God's people fast. It's something they've done. Not always perfectly, but that is, that is a part of life with God. Thing number two, we fast generally for a reason. Right? Like we don't just kind of not eat and then call it a fast. I'm fasting today by not eating. Like there's for something. What are, you, what are you taking time, like Micah said, what are you taking time away from to pray for? What are you, what are you longing for God to do? What are you asking? What are you requesting? What, what, what is the burden that demands seriousness to the point of fasting that you go, I'm not sure what to do, but Lord, you need to do it. And I'm willing to, to, to take away physical sustenance because your food is more important, right? Every word that you give, everything that you say, that's more important. So we fast for a reason. Maybe we're about to go into a serious season of life or maybe we're something that we're just not hearing clearly from. Lord, we need to hear this. We're not sure what's going on. Maybe it's just a matter of dependence. But then we also understand this, that fasting, even see through Isaiah's rebuke, fasting can become something that is a ritual disconnected from its meaning. And now you're just doing it, right? You're just kind of doing it because that's what you're supposed to do. So it's disconnected from meaning. But done in faith, if it's done in faith, you find that it, what follows it are acts of obedience. So it can be disconnected from its meaning and the seriousness, but done in faith it's not. Now, now with that, we realize that when Jesus is instructing his disciples in Matthew 6 on fasting, which is part of the Sermon on the Mount where he is teaching his disciples, it makes a lot of sense why he would use fasting as an example. Because it was a part of their life. It was a part of how they would communicate. So it makes total sense that he would use fasting as an example. But it's not just an example. I think it is a habit that God's people use and do. And, and our sliver of church life often doesn't think about it, doesn't consider it. But there are many, many believers worldwide where they would be in our room and be like, I don't understand why you guys never talk about fasting. Like, like they, they, it, it would be foreign to them that we would even be like, wait a minute, 60% never? Never? Like, that would be odd. And so we need to recognize that as we discuss it, we discuss it from our perspective, how we see it. But we've had brothers and sisters in the faith throughout generations 
where it is a normative part of how they operate and how they engage the Lord. So we get to Jesus' instruction, and he follows the, the flow that he's followed thus far, where he is talking about how the irreligious pursue something for attention, and those who follow God need to do it unseen and unknown. This is what he says first in verse 16. The hypocrites fast for attention. They fast for attention. Verse 16, and when you fast, do not look gloomy. Your translation might say disfigured, marked like the hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces that their fasting may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they've received their reward. That's his first statement. It was common to fast, but people would in some way identify that they were being religious. They, they would mark themselves and show that they're being religious and participating in a ritual. And then you would see the ones who were fasting, like, oh, wow, look at you. You do that. You, you fast. So, so clearly you're awesomer, which is a word that goes around in our house sometimes. Imagine it kind of like a sticker. I fasted. Just sits there on you. You have your I fasted sticker on. Like when we vote, right? I voted. Did you? Right? That's like the the secular same thing. I'm going to virtue signal my goodness. I want you to see that you're not as good. But with fasting. Say, hey, I'm fasting. Back off. I'm doing this. And they would mark themselves to be seen by people. And we have a way, don't ever forget this, Genesis, that we have a way as Christians, and this has happened throughout all time, right? Man looks at the outer appearance, but God looks at the heart. We have a way of being just totally captivated and seduced by people's external religiosity. It is so attractive to see people hold their hands up and worship and be real serious and clap and, yeah, go Jesus, right? Like, and see these kinds of, like, just big expressions. And we have this thing in our hearts, we're like, hang on, they must really know what walking with God is like because they show it. They must really be serious about it. So... We have this way of being seduced by people whose external adornment is religious, regardless of what's going on internally. I mean, I can gussy up my language with, hey, brother, hey, sister, so good to see you, the Lord's... I, I, I can say all these things, but I could still be a whitewashed tomb. I could still be duping all of you if I just make my emphasis looking religious. The more times you're seen as religious, the more often you're praised by man. And don't think that that's not a drug. It is. It is a total drug to get the recognition of people. Oh my gosh, I saw you the other day, or you were doing this, or look at that, or look at this, or look at that. Oh, you, just, you just gotta be the best. Or, right? Like all these ways that we can put ourselves on display. It is addicting to get people's attention. 
And so we look at this and go, yeah, of course, you just kind of hide it. I'm like, that's not, we need to realize just how tempting it is to look religious in front of people. I mean, think about how tempting it is just to look good in a job interview. I mean, you get the, you get the question, where do you see yourself in five years? Oh, well, you know, CEO. You have to sound ambitious or whatever. You go, oh, yeah, I'm going to be making this much money and doing these 17 things, and I'm really, like, you know, I don't, my answer is like, I don't even know anymore. I'd like to still be following Jesus faithfully. Am I hired? I don't know how to answer those sometimes, but we do. Don't you feel this just enormous pressure to look a certain way, to, to seem intense? No joke, and I, and I mean this to my own shame, like, I sometimes like to write or to blog or find outlets to do that, but I'm way more tempted to do it if I'm job hunting. Why? Because people are looking, and so now I have to seem more serious, and there have been a couple of times, don't think, well, if Hans is starting to blog, uh-oh, look out, like, that's not the key. But I could feel this temptation of like, man, i got to be on social media more. I have to say more things. I have to be more provocative. I have to write more stuff. You feel this pressure to start to dance so that others will see you. And fasting is the same thing. You feel this pressure to show up and show off. But what happens? Jesus says, you've received your reward. You've already received it. People look at you, they give you the attaboy, they clap for you, you go down in the minutes of some meeting as being really religious, and then that book closes, and you move on with your day, and nothing happens. Nothing. Because you sought what you wanted. But what about fasting in groups, right? Like, shouldn't, shouldn't we do that? I think we should. I think there are times where you can call a fast and ask people to fast and do it together, as you see these examples from the nation of Israel, where they were fasting together. You can do that. I was talking uh, to even, we were talking about this passage some recently, and I was like, yeah, I mean, I, I see we could do that as a church, but isn't it kind of weird if you kind of like put out on social, like, hey, this is our day of fasting. Like, how do you communicate to your church you're doing something when everything that your church does is seen? Like, the whole world can watch this sermon, right? If you have internet. You can find it. It's going to exist forever. Somebody's going to be looking at it in 10 years and be like, that was weird. Why do you wear that shirt, right? I, I don't know. So how do you talk about these things when you know the world's watching? I think there are ways. That's why we try to sometimes just communicate with our membership or just have certain conversations in certain places or not promote in certain places. But this is not something that clearly we, we do regularly or even honestly know how to enter into. Uh, because it's hard. It's hard to do. It's hard to know. Am I doing this for my own benefit? Am I doing this for my own status? Am I doing this so that we can tell our church friends that our church is awesome and yours isn't? You know, they need to get with the program and we don't, right? There's all these things that start to bubble up when you feel this need to show off. But the hard aspect is what we miss. Jesus isn't saying you only fast by yourself. He's saying only fast for the Lord. Now, if a group of people like in Acts 13 want to only fast for the Lord <laughs> together, great. Great then do it. If a church wants to fast for the Lord, then do it. They want to seek something together. They're requesting something from God. Some churches have rhythms where they do this weekly or in a given year for a certain period of time. Then do it. But don't tell anybody. 
Don't tell anybody. Right? No one on social media should know what you're giving up for Lent. If you are. They shouldn't know. Why? Because it's not for other people to know. But we just don't think about that. Like, oh yeah, no, it's just kind of the thing you do. You just tell everybody what you're doing, get your phone out, and let them know. No, there are plenty of things that Jesus really wants you to never tell anybody. Not to be published. Not to be promoted. Unless you just want the likes. And if that's what you're there for, you get them. You get them. And maybe your friend will message you one day and say, hey, you seemed really religious that one time. I have a question. Right? Great. God, you know, God love you. Go do it. But this is the contrast in these last two verses. All right? One group fasts to be seen. One group fasts for the Lord. Disciples of Jesus fast for the Lord. That's the point. That's how Jesus finishes, verse 17 and 18. But when you fast, not if, again, not if, but when you fast, anoint your head, wash your face. What he's meaning is just be clean. Don't mark yourself. Don't wear the sticker. Go through your day that your fasting may not be seen by others, but by your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. Disciples fast for the Lord. So Jesus, in saying this, is saying that you just go about your business. And when lunchtime shows up, no one can find you. That's okay. You just obscurely disappear. No big deal. Don't be marked. Don't point it out. Live your public life as if nothing has changed. How does it look? Well, there's lots of ways it could look, and I just want you to think through some of these. You don't have to, there's many more things you could think about. Uh, if you have a job that is physically demanding, right? Maybe it's just hot, or maybe it's really physically laborious. Well, not eating, you might pass out, right? Like, that's maybe not the best idea, You'll often find these periods of fasting aren't really marked with also a lot of movement and exertion. <laughs> There's a reason for that. And so if you have a job that is incredibly exerting, then maybe not the best idea just to kind of go a week not eating. But there are ways you could modify, right? That you could limit yourself to something. You could just have a smoothie. You could just have juice in the morning. You could find some way to be sure you can do your job faithfully while also disciplining yourself for the Lord. Like, it's not, an, it's not an all or nothing proposition. Well, I either have to have no food and no drink for at least three days, because that's what they did for Esther, or 40. I gotta pick. Right? But it's just, you know, if, if your job is demanding, well, don't do something that's not gonna make everybody recognize, you know, something's wrong with him. <laughs> like, he's just sleeping. Don't draw attention to yourself, because then you've done the opposite, Right? I'm not going to eat, and I'm going to do my job like normal. And then you pass out, and everyone's like, why did you do that? You're like, well, I was fasting. Ah, reward given away. Like, you don't want to do that. Another thing, don't schedule lunch appointments when you're fasting. <laughs> don't schedule breakfast. Just don't schedule meetings. Because then you're going to have this awkward conversation. Why aren't you eating anything? I am. What, are you fasting? That happens. What, are you fasting? And you got to be like, well, either lie or say yes. And then all of a sudden, war, whoop, right, gone. On the flip side, if you're with another brother or sister and you're at coffee or you're somewhere and they don't order anything, don't ask why. And don't be insistent that they must. 
because you don't know what they might be doing. So just kind of let them go. You don't have to, you know, and don't feel bad for just scarfing down four burgers in front of them either. Right? Because they've, like, they've picked that day and they picked to meet with you, and so just let it be. Right? Let them skip it. Don't, don't, don't bring it to a head and force them to give some type of response. And I mean that. Because once we do that, what happens? Now we're feeling this incredible burden of like, oh gosh, well, did, I, did, I, did I give my reward away? Like, is it gone now? Now do I just start eating now that they know all these weird things that happen? I'm just going, as people who read the passage and see what Jesus is saying, if you're with somebody and they're not eating, don't draw attention to it. Don't draw attention to it. In fact, just pray for them for whatever might be going on. The point is this. Don't seek to be noticed. Don't draw attention to yourself. Do it for the Lord who sees. But that is the Christian life, isn't it? And, and, and I mean it when I say social media has trained us and tricked us to think that our lives are to be seen by others. It has developed us in such a way that our expectation is the newest insight that we've gotten, the newest thing that we have seen in the scriptures, the newest, anything that, that is happening in us hasn't really happened. It's like a tree falling in the forest. If you haven't posted it on social, has it really happened? Yes. But we feel this incredible tension to tell the world the things that are going on with us. Why? because it is seductive to get their praise. And when you discipline yourself from the heart to do things for the Lord, you might even have to find yourselves wrestling with your flesh that wants people to know what you're doing, that you want to tell them, right? I made it through the day yesterday and I fasted and it was awesome, right? You just start telling them everything that you did. Like, well, that was yesterday, right? Like, does God work in 24-hour periods? That, that window's closed. Now I can talk about it on day two, that what happened day one. I kind of made it through. No, just leave it alone. Remember the first passage that we did? We quoted um, from Dallas Willard, and he says, you know, secrecy puts your PR department in God's hands. You let him be the one who will humble you and exalt you and do what he does with you. You don't need to tell the world, what you do, the same thing. That things done in secret with a heart set in obedience are seen by God our Father and they are rewarded. They're rewarded. Now, this is the funny part. I'm going I'm to suggest something to you that you absolutely don't have to do, okay? That's the weird part, okay? So I'm going to suggest something to you that you don't have to do because I don't know what's going on in each individual heart right now, okay? But I would encourage anyone who has never fasted or who has given up on fasting to set aside in the next month one meal and for that meal pray. You never have to tell me. You don't have to tweet at me. You don't have to email me. You don't have to give me your fasting stickers that I wear. So you don't have to do that. Start there. And I just say, use that time to pray for our church. Use that time to pray for our church. 
for the elders, for the deacons, for community group leaders, for serve team leaders, for D group leaders, for those in our kids' ministry. Pray that we are upright before the Lord and pray that we would honor him with our lips and pray that we would be serious about our discipleship and pray that we would have conviction about where the Lord is sending us and what we're going to do with that. Take time away and do that. One meal in the month of February. It's a shorter month, so, you know, count your days. If you're a member, commit time to pray for other members. Some of them are on the church center app in your little member directory. You can just kind of go through and just pray for a couple of households. They're not all there, but some are there. Just take time to pray for people. One time. As I said, I'm going to suggest something to you, but you don't have to do it. But also, if there's some kind of rebellion in you not to, then I'm going to ask you to go to the Lord and ask why that might be. Why, why? Why not? pursue, right? like, like for many of us, daily Bible reading is like, that, that makes sense. Oh yeah, you just read the Bible every day. But like fasting is like, get out of here. Discipline giving, well, okay, I mean, we can, but kind of we give off of what we have left over. We don't give off first. So why not just consider? And as God might encourage you during that time, perhaps even impresses his truth upon you, then follow through with obedience in these areas. Then maybe commit again to do it again and take that same meal at same time and, and pray for people in your life who don't know Jesus. Pray that they might know him. Pray that they would honor him. Pray that they, God would use you to share the gospel with them. That you would you would take seriously the call to make disciples of all nations and not go, well, that was given to a group of disciples on a mountain back in Matthew 28. No, that was given to the disciples of Jesus. It doesn't stop. And so just take time and pray for those people in your life who don't know the Lord. And what's great is that if you go, I don't know anybody who doesn't know the Lord. Lo and behold, like now you have a moment to go before the Lord and go, God, why don't I know anybody who doesn't know you? Have I become too insulated? Have I become too concerned? Have I too focused on my own life and my own thing and my own friends that, that I'm out of people who don't know you? Have I become so myopic in, in the way that I live my life that there's not a soul that I don't know who doesn't know you? Why is that, God? Right? Just bring, then take that time and ask him. And good Lord, could you bring somebody into my life that might do that? Jesus doesn't condemn fasting. He doesn't condemn it. He encourages it, done in the right way, with the right heart, by his disciples, in secret, so God sees them. Now, over the past five weeks, the month of January, we've been hearing about an inner life with Christ, a way to follow Jesus that seeks heartfelt obedience in how we give, and how we pray, and how we fast. As we think about these five passages, we did three in, three in uh, prayer, which is why, you know, three over five. That's how we do that. Things that come to mind. One, we have to regularly pray to put to death our desire for attention and to be seen as spiritual. The daily temptation to show off that we're righteous. As a constant prayer that we would die to ourselves. Two, 
We need to realize that if there are times that we've put on a show and we've longed to be seen, repent. Go to the Lord and go, forgive me for trying to just look religious. And then number three, where Jesus says to go, follow. Follow. If Jesus instructs and says, this is the way that this is to be done, then we don't need to yeah but him or whataboutism or anything like that. If he says, this is how I want you to pursue this, then we go, yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. As a church, our desire is to pursue an inner life with Christ, disciplined for the Lord, to be seen and rewarded by him. Not by those around us, but by him.